Hey everybody, Mike here. Thanks for joining us on episode 42 of Feed the Machine podcast by Nova3 Labs. Today we get into female cycle irregularities and athletic performance. Big, big topic. We don't touch on everything, but I think you'll enjoy the discussion. Also, I wanted to give a big shout out to Katie and Roe. Katie's from Canada, Roe is from Australia. Thanks very much, guys, for listening to the podcast. You guys are the catalyst. Uh, that makes me want to do this as much as I can. So I appreciate your support. Enjoy the podcast. If you guys have any questions, please leave us a line. The topic's going to be how to send a tasteful nude. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. I think there needs to be criteria about that. A tasteful nude. Is that an oxymoron? No, you can do it. Um, (laughs) How? I don't don't know, but... If somebody knows, we can talk most, about it. Most men do not. <laughs> I, bet, I, bet, I bet Tina knows. I'm Tina. I, I don't like to reveal my secret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, getting lots of them. See, I'm lucky. I don't have many guys as clients, so uh, thankfully, no, I don't get those. Welcome back, everybody, to Feed the Machine podcast. I'm Mike Costelli, and with me, I have Chrissy Barron, Kylie Gamalier, and Tina Johnson. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good. There's just, like, awkward silence, (laughs) yeah. It's not like we haven't been talking for, like, half an hour already, but... uh... So, we haven't been here in a while. Um, Last episode, 41, was, like, a couple months ago, so... I ended up getting pinged by a couple of irate clients. Well, they weren't irate. They were just like, hey, man, where's the podcast? So so we decided to uh, to get our SHIT together, and, and here we are. Mostly this is usually my fault because of my insane schedule, but I uh, need to make more time to make more podcasts. So, what, uh, Chrissy, what are we talking about today? It feels like forever since we've been here. Yeah, so today we're going to touch on – we're really actually going to talk about – Females and their cycle, period talk, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So most men cringe at that. I'm like, dude, get with the program. This is life. Oh, yeah. Um, And then then at the end, we're going to go into some of the new products we just released, what we're planning on releasing later this year, and any cool uh, like giveaways or discount codes we have coming up. Cool. Right on. Well, I mean, let's dive right in. So right off the bat, why don't we get the elephant out of the room? So I'm a dude and I'm about to talk about the female cycle and I really have no right or knowledge to talk about it because I've never had a cycle. So um, why don't we just get that out of the way so everybody knows that I'm totally making this shit up as I go. But um, Do you want to know what it's like? No, no, not really. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting. Um you know, like just like I po- I posted on Instagram a little while ago. I picked up uh, Lyle McDonald's new book, which is a freaking monster, by the way. Um, I mean, I find it really fascinating because honestly, I, I say eighty five percent, but it actually might be ninety um, percent of my clients are female. Um, so for many many years, I have been talking with my clients about their cycle and. And at first, you know, some women are some women are cool with it. Other women are like, "Why are you asking me this?" And I got to explain. Um, but it's 
like we were talking about before we started recording, it's it's a it's an, a very important vital sign to know where your athletes at, right? Um, and which we'll we'll get into on on what we should be seeing, the dysfunction that we see. But um, for years, I've been talking with my clients about it, and it's funny because you see all different sorts of patterns out there, and some women are crazy regular, and some women have been completely irregular since they were in their teens. And, um, but I mean, before I get into my rant and stuff, I think there's going to be some awkward silence here. Why don't you guys talk about your cycle first? (laughs) They're all like, fuck you, Mike, fuck you. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I'm not afraid. Nice. Nice. Mine is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I'm one of the lucky individuals that is about every 28 days and pretty much has zero symptoms, no matter if I'm on birth control, if I'm not on birth control. I've never really had an issue. Uh, There was one period in time in college when I was uh, a collegiate swimmer, and I noticed the week before I would get my cycle, I would not swim very well, whether in practice, whether in a meet. And I thought maybe if I got birth control, I could regulate this better. And I did. And that went away. Since then, um, if I've been off of it, I don't really notice that. And maybe because I'm not doing 20 plus hours a week of training and Uh, maybe because if you have a bad day, it's probably tied to a lot of other things or you can't really determine what's causing that bad training day. Uh, so it's perhaps a little bit harder for me to tell, but other than that, I don't really have any of those really terrible symptoms that a lot of women experience. So I'll go next. So I, I was a college cheerleader and a lot of that sport it was we did competitive we competed competitively as well but um a lot of that sport was dictated on our looks right so we had to stay like we signed a contract saying we wouldn't gain weight throughout the season um and so in college I had a really bad eating disorder and just a really horrible relationship with food and so I had I did not I mean I went like over a year without having a cycle and I didn't really see it as an issue, right? Because to me, I was like, oh, thank God. Thankfully, I don't have to deal with that thing. Um, and then so when I started CrossFit, I went straight paleo. And it came back like just like someone punching you in the gut. <laughs> and, um, you know, <laughs> and I, I think I didn't really understand like the healthy versus not healthy of it. It was just like, okay, this is what it is. And um I've been pretty regular ever since I've been doing CrossFit. Um, but there are times when I kind of use it as a, as a health parameter of like, okay, um, there's a month when I didn't get it. So what does that mean to me? Am I going too hard? Am I training too much? Right. Do I need to step back? And so that's just one thing that I always make sure to talk to my nutritionist about. Um, so that's, that's my history of it. Tina, you're up. Yeah, um, my history is being on birth control pills. I would have to change them, change the type I was using probably every six months because if I didn't take my birth control pill within about 10 minutes of the same time each day, I would start my period. Um, no which way. Wow. Was, yeah, it was frustrating. And so 
after doing that for quite a while, I I basically just stopped taking birth control, and that was right around the time that um, I did my hormone panels, and I talked to Mike about them. And uh, yeah, they were so for the, about the past year, I've been working on trying to normalize my hormones again and getting all of that stuff out of my system. So it's been much better since. But yeah. Okay, so really, there's like different patterns across all three of you know the females sitting here, um, yeah. which you know as a huge generalization, that's what I see. I see some clients yeah. who are like under eating, driving themselves into the ground. Um, and they have these like perfect, you know, cycle patterns every 28 days, you know, you can set your watch to it. I have other athletes who are eating in a caloric, you know, a healthy caloric surplus. They're not overtraining. Um, you know, external stressors are low and it's like one little tiny bit of stress and boom, their cycle's gone. It's like everybody has a definite different level of resiliency. And, and when I've, in the past, when I've done a lot of hormone testing, it's interesting because sometimes the, the estradiol levels don't always line up with what you're seeing. Um, I've seen clients that have really regular patterns, and I'm thinking about one in particular. Um, and like she was like, yep, I am regular like every 28 days. And when I tested her, it was like low estradiol, low estriol, um, low progesterone. And, you know, we lined it up exactly with you know day 19 20 or 21 of her cycle which is when um you get the peaks of the estradiol and the progesterone so estradiol peaks first um if i recall correctly that's the luteal phase or follicular phase i can't recall correctly um and then after that progesterone peaks so they peak at different times that's why we do it on day 19 20 or 21 we're trying to get the peaks there and she was low across the board and i was like seriously you shouldn't be having a cycle um and that's where that's where sometimes labs can be a little bit misleading. If you just go based on the lab, you might not be treating your client appropriately. But, but I think what we need to back up a bit, or I need to back up, we need to talk about, okay, what causes cycle irregularities and are they normal or are they not normal? Or maybe, maybe let me rephrase that. Are they, is it, is it healthy to have cycle irregularities or is it a sign of like some impending doom? Like, what do you guys think as far as, as your clients? When your clients come to you and they're like, yeah, my cycle, totally gone. Or, oh, my cycle's like really long. It's longer than 28 days. Like, what does that mean to you? How do you address it as a nutritionist, as a clinician? Tina, you want to go first? Or you want me? Um, yeah, I mean, I think those things are great to ask and to think about. Because like you said, Mike, there's all different kinds of parameters that can certainly affect um, the cycle and obviously they're quite complex, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's just, just so many different things that can affect it. So it's one of those things that certainly can take time to try to pinpoint and figure out. And so I think it really helps obviously when females are really in tune with their body and they keep track of, of those things. I know obviously there's a, there's some apps out there that can help with that. Um, so I think that's probably a good first step. Um, I guess like a very easy analogy or comparison for males <clears throat> would be like a bowel movement regularity, <laughs> you know, like it's the same thing. Like, I are you regular or are you not regular? And if you aren't regular, it's not something I touch right away. Like we start with a plan initially and then two, three weeks down the road, if things haven't improved, then we talk about it. Um, but with 
bowel movements, like anything could be causing the irregularity. Same thing with a woman. There's just not one thing like, oh, well, here you probably just aren't eating enough carbs, which might be the reason why, Mm -hmm. um, but it's not necessarily the only reason why. Uh, So usually after taking a female on after a couple of months, I see a change usually within that first two months uh, for the most part. Now, it really depends on how unhealthy the client is from a hormonal standpoint, from what I would what I see, um, a lot of people with cycle issues have a past that looks pretty similar. Uh, lots of restriction, lots of low carb, uh, lots of training. Mm-hmm. And through working on lifestyle factors, making sure they're getting enough sleep, make sure, making sure they're not overdoing it in the gym. And then, you know, managing it from a diet standpoint, a lot of that has improved. And as it has improved, this is kind of the other half of it is who knows what might happen because I've had clients have worse symptoms when they're getting their cycle than what they were used to, to where they make sure they let me know, like, uh, I'm not sure this is normal, but I'm having major cramps or it's really heavy this month. And I deem that as a good thing only because I'm not hurting them. Mm -hmm. I'm only making their situation better so anything that's not normal but isn't a loss of cycle is, in my opinion, we're heading in the right direction. The, the wiring and the electronics of the body are just kind of misfiring and trying to figure out how to regulate everything. So I think um, <clears throat> it's not really an issue or a bad thing if it comes a little bit more often, uh, one month versus another as long as you're not losing your cycle, then you're most likely doing okay. If assuming your coach has a good handle on your nutrition. Yeah, I, you know what, and I 100% agree with all of that. I mean, I think, um, you know, backing up, backing up, back to the the original question. You know, is it is it a ominous sign or or is it a bad sign when a client loses her cycle? And the, the simple answer, at least in my opinion, is absolutely. If your cycle yeah. disappears, that means, and I'm going to talk in really simplistic terms, and I mean, if there's a gynecologist out there, they'd probably call me up and tear me to shreds, but in really, really simplistic terms, your body is saying, this is not an environment in which I can safely pump out an egg to get fertilized, right? It's like, nope, I don't have enough hormones, or I don't have enough body fat stores, or there's too much stress, there's too much cortisol, Um so you, you lose your cycle, right? And it's longer term, um, and this is something I want to get into maybe a little bit later when we talk about the, the female athlete triad. I mean, if we're talking about you have, a, let's say, a client who's 27 or they're 33 or something like that, and they've had a normal cycle and they've lost their cycle, um, is that as bad as um, a pediatric or a preteen um, losing their cycle completely. No, like we're talking about the difference between primary and secondary amenorrhea, and there's, they're very, very different things. In CrossFit, with the demographic that we have, um, generally speaking, we're always dealing with secondary amenorrhea, right? Um, where someone has had their cycle, their onset of their first cycle, um, and then all of a sudden, because of stressors, they've lost it. So, in my opinion, yes, it's a bad sign. Now, when somebody has dysfunction in their cycle they've had dysmenorrhea um i wouldn't say that's ominous i just would say that's a sign that there's 
excessive stress on the body. Now, stress is not a bad thing. And we're always talking about it like, oh, you got to reduce your stress. You got to do this. You got to do that. When we train, we're stressing ourselves. When you have a client who says, hey, Mike, I need to get lean. I'm like, okay, getting lean is a stress. When you're reducing body fat stores, it's a stress. Um, so that just means that stress is affecting them hormonally. And it needs to be taken into consideration. So as an example, I have a client, really high-end athlete. She's phenomenal, eats super healthy, both in quantity and quality. All of her external stressors in life are, are unreal. It's just like she's sleeping 10 hours. She's living and breathing and you know, doing everything she can to be a good athlete. And she is. Um, the past few months, as her training has gotten a lot more intense in both volume and uh, intensity, um, she's had this symptom, which at first she was really hesitant to tell me. She's like, I'm like, okay, how's everything in your cycle? Yeah, yeah, everything's good. But it's like my, my chest is sore. And at first I didn't click in. I was just like, wow, you're <laughs> doing a lot of pushing, you know, a lot of muscle ups. And she's like, no, 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 no. Not my muscles, but like my boobs, they're sore. She's like, they're sore for like weeks. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's something that we kept an eye on, so to speak, no pun intended. Um, and I actually did some, la- I did actually did some lab testing with her and you know, her labs came back totally fine. But then we went back and looked at her training schedule and she has a very knowledgeable coach and training was like, I looked at that and I was like, holy shit. I'm like, that is an insane amount of volume. Like lots and lots of sprints, lots and lots of heavy squats, like just stuff that's smashing her CNS down. And of course, as she went into a deload week, all of a sudden she's like next cycle. She's like, yep, uh, no, no problems with the chesticles. Everything's good. You know, feel good. Um, so it's like, that was just a sign of the stress. And so really from my end, I didn't really do anything, right? Cause she's, eating an appropriate amount of food, appropriate quality food, appropriate rest, et cetera, et cetera. I feel, always feel like a broken record when I talk about that. But it's that's just a sign that she's under stress. Um, I mean, you can get other, other types of dysfunction. I think the common one that we were talking about earlier was when somebody's cycle goes longer than normal. When, you know, I'll get the client who's like, Mike, I missed my cycle. Okay, first thing I always ask them, Okay, are you pregnant? Um, because I've been convinced that I've had a couple clients that were pregnant and obviously didn't turn out that way. But as soon as you miss your cycle, number one question, are you pregnant? No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Okay, cool. Um, I even had a client go out and I'm like, okay, you need to go to like Walgreens and get a birth, con- or not a birth control, um, pregnancy test <laughs> kit. And she's like, really? Do you really think so? I'm like, let's just rule it out because I'm freaking worried right now. Um, but, uh, so you can have this, and this, like I said, this is a really common form of dysfunction where you get like luteal suppression and like a prolonged follicular phase. That's really the, the complex answer, but it's just different. It's like estrogen drops too quickly. And then you have this prolonged secondary phase. And this is that secondary amenorrhea. This is classic secondary amenorrhea, right? Where the length actually of the cycle doesn't change. Although when the onset and, and duration arc changes, right? And so instead of 28 days, it's like 35 days, right? Now, Kylie, you were telling me, I mean, we won't mention names, but we were telling me about a client you have who has mm-hmm. this exact thing going on. Why don't you talk about her? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to, she's a friend, so I'm mm-hmm. trying to dig mm-hmm. it up a little bit more okay. <laughs> in regards to, I mean, 
I, I guess really ultimately comes down to she kind of knows, but she kind of doesn't. Oh. Um, she just knows that she's not regular, but to, but yet she kind of can estimate that it will come the second or third week of March since she just had her last cycle starting on the 5th. Mm-hmm. So with that fluctuation, I mean, she kind of knows, but yet maybe it's not regular enough to where one month it's 50 days, one month it's 40 days. Um, so, but according to her, it's always been that way. Uh, and she's never done blood work before. So I finally convinced her after much bitching on my end, like <laughs> get her uh, test done because, you know, she's, I'm not saying she's old, but she, you know, as you age, it's kind of important to understand where you are, what issues you might have, because I've been curious for a while in mm-hmm. regards to her, and I've helped her with nutrition in the past, and she's not the easiest client to lean out, so mm-hmm. I always like to know what I'm working with uh, in regards to hormones when it's not very easy, because I always assume something's wrong, um, <clears throat> but we'll, we'll see what that produces but we're pretty much me and Mike talked about when to test her because usually when you test you test on day I think I think a paper says 18 to 21 but why do I think it's always 19 to 21 um that's what I think 19 20 21 okay yep so maybe they changed it at some point but um so we usually test day 19 to 21 when the both hormones should be at their highest and then uh, with her though, it's kind of like a guessing game. So we talked about potentially just doing it on around day 20, maybe 21. And then, you know, what, what she results in, she results in and yeah. we'll use it as best we can. But obviously if she can't, if she doesn't get her cycle in for 20 more days, then obviously who knows what, her, where her peak actually was. Yeah. And I mean, Tina, you've probably experienced this too. That can be really tough when you're running labs on a client who has an irregular cycle, um, I mean, yeah, you can get values like testosterone and cortisol, but I mean, melatonin, but if you're actually specifically trying to look, at least using the BioHealth 205, um, which I think they renamed, I still call it the 205, um, I mean, at least using that, because it's a one-day test, it you might actually have to go to the full spectrum test, which I've I've actually never done, which is like, they're basically like, testing every single day for 30 days and then you okay. have you ever done that one uh, no, I haven't. no i mean that's i think it's pretty pricey i think it's pretty complex um and not to go off on a total tangent but i mean if i get a client and they got they have some major cycle irregularities um and let's say they're not 25 but they're like 45 or 55 then i'm like you know what, you need to go see an endo, you need to go see your gynecologist, like you're getting into areas where um, you actually need some some very particular specialist to figure out, are you premenopausal, um, you know, doing treatment with like, here, eat some more carbs, and I'm not demeaning it by any means, but here, eat some more carbs, or here, I'm going to microdose you with some progesterone, that's probably not going to be enough in that case at that age, um, right. although Reed Davis might argue with me, but whatever. Um, Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Well, why don't we why don't we spin a little bit and we talk about let's talk about the causes. Okay. So, what we'll talk about the female athlete triad. 
We can a little bit. I think it's it's somewhat applicable to the CrossFit community. I um, I have my ideas on on what, and we'll talk about what it is. But let's talk about you have a client, they have cycle irregularities, or they have no cycle. How do you treat that? And or, or, no, let me back up. What's the cause? Why did they lose their cycle? And how do you treat that? Somebody go. Three, two, one. Kylie. Huh. You throw food on them. <laughs> you throw food at them. That's what we do. We throw food. Here, eat this. Yeah. Dummy. Honestly, dummy. that's the easiest way to get someone's cycle back is to feed them more and to feed them more carbs and to make sure they're not doing anything stupid in the gym. And by stupid, I mean, you know, training. Yep. I guess stupid to one person is not stupid to somebody else, but I guess for the, if it seems disordered, uh, mentally disordered, like the, I forget what it's called now. I'm not saying that I've had clients that have exercise issues um, mm-hmm. from a mental standpoint, but I think there you can pick up when someone's training a lot, not because they want to make regionals, but because they think they need to in order to maintain a body weight. And yeah. I don't think that's healthy. So I try to talk them through that process and explain why it's making their journey a lot harder. Um, I have a client in particular. We always have this conversation at least, you know, once a month or once every couple months at some point to where, hey, what's our goal? Okay, let's keep going down this this route then because it's very easy to be – to forget what your long-term goal is. And even if it's body composition, if you don't take care of yourself now, you're not going to have that body composition five years from now because you won't be able to obtain it from a hormonal standpoint. So I'm pretty strong with making sure I stick with my what I believe in. And I would much rather have a client leave me because I'm not allowing them to do something that I deem unhealthy to achieve the short term if I think it's going to harm them long term. Yeah. Um, And most of them, I mean, that conversation's had right up front so they know what they're getting themselves into by working with me. And if they don't buy into it, they can find somebody else. But at the end of the day, my job isn't to get someone to 15% body fat. It's to make sure that I don't make them worse and I'm doing harm to them. Now, if we can do that while making sure I'm not pro- making their hormones worse and providing harm, then awesome. But I'm not putting someone at risk for something like that, personally, anyway. Nice. I like it. Tina, what do you think? Prevention, yeah, treatment. Sometimes it's, it can be very complex, and really depending on a person's history, you may have to bring in know some more experts for example sometimes people need a little bit more uh, experience with maybe a psychologist or dealing with things that have happened in the past in terms of why they are so afraid of a particular food or what is kind of ingrained in their brain as to why they think that being a certain size or a certain number is the only way that they're ever going to actually find happiness or you know like it can be quite complex and I know all of us kind of deal with that on a regular basis with a lot of our clients in terms of trying to, you know, we're trying to constantly counsel them a little bit in terms of like, it's okay to eat a little bit more and that this is how we're going to get to that eventual goal um, is that constant counseling. And, but sometimes people need uh, probably a little bit more than what we can provide. So sometimes you have to bring in those, uh, those experts as well. 
Cool. I like it. Um, I mean, if I was to throw in my two cents here, I mean, I think we take a look at the female athlete triad. And for those that don't know, um, basically it's, it's reduced energy availability or let's say eating disorder is a classic. classic. That would be number one. Menstrual dysfunction, number two. And then loss of bone mineral density, number three. That's the classic athlete, female athlete triad. What we see or what I see in CrossFit is, I guess you could say, a relative energy, uh, a relatively reduced energy availability where you take a look and you're like, hey, this client's eating a lot. They're eating 2,400 calories. Wow, they're not eating below their basal metabolic rate. So therefore, they're fine. Well, they might not be fine, especially if they have excessive training. They might still be in a very severe caloric deficit right? This is where the formulas need to get thrown out the window sometimes where you can't plug a client into a formula and think it's going to work. They might still be in a very severe caloric deficit. Um, menstrual dysfunction is what we've been talking about. That's really what we see. Impaired bone health. That's something we don't see normally because we're dealing with that demographic of 18 to like 30, 35. You know, now we're getting more masters, so up to 40. But think about CrossFit as a sport. Um, tons and tons of weight-bearing exercise, which is freaking awesome for your bones, right? So we're actually not seeing that. We're not seeing the long-distance runners, or we're not seeing the gymnasts, the gymnasts. And we have, we've seen those athletes transition into CrossFit, um, especially gymnasts will always have those cycle irregularities and, and, and figure skaters and, and, you know, anybody who's been in a, in a weight-based sport prior. Um, I guess figure skating is not weight-based, but you get my point. Um, so, I mean, that's the classic triad, but we're really just seeing the menstrual dysfunction, and then the, maybe the relative caloric, reduced caloric intake relative to how extreme their, their training is. Um, I read an interesting stat when I was, I mean, I knew we were going to talk about this, so obviously I was just digging through some stuff, um, and this is one I want to I get some discussion on, because I don't know if I totally agree with it. Um, they say, they, you know, quote unquote, they say, you need 30 calories per kilogram to offset menstrual irregularities. Now, I'm just going to throw that out there. What do you, so to put that into, you know, Americanese, that would be, let's say for a 150 pound person, that's 2,000 calories, 2,040 calories. What do you guys think about that number? Well, I think that's, I mean, you know, I'm just speaking from my athlete point of view, but that's, that's not like an end-all be-all because no. to me, that, that's low. That's super low for what I would have to be eating. Mm-hmm. I would eat, I would be eating in excess of that, right? So for them to say, you know, okay, 30 cows per kg, okay, for, for me, that would lead me to be under eating, mm-hmm. right? I would say I'm a fairly, I don't know, smaller person. I mean, I'm, I don't know if I am. Kylie, am I a smaller person? I don't know. You are. You're you're small and jacked. Small and jacked. Yeah. Well, this number is probably based on, you know, what they base most stats on, which is an average person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're talking about CrossFitters. Um, Well, we're not really talking about the average person anymore. We're talking about people who do high levels of training and typically have high levels of external stressors, whether it's, you know, a combination of the physical activity that they do, plus just trying to balance everything else in life. And females tend to be even worse with that, right? They're trying to constantly strive to do the best at everything, be the best 
uh, person at work, the best mom, the best person at CrossFit, and that just can add a pile of stress on, onto that, which, again, we've been talking about the whole time, can create all kinds of uh, issues with with cycles as well. So that's the it depends answer. Yeah, yeah well, it always mm-hmm. depends. I read that, and then I was like, oh, that's interesting. And they even had, like, you know, um, you know, um, whatchamacallit, a reference to the study about that. And, of course, I looked it up, and I couldn't get the full access to the study. But, um, yeah, when I read that, I'm like, yeah, 2,000 calories on average, that's that's not bad. But, I mean, I have some female athletes, and they are at, like, close to 3,000 calories, and they're having menstrual irregularities. So they're well above 30 calories per kilogram. Um, but, I mean, yeah, if we get back to, okay, we have a client, um, they have some cycle irregularities, um, it, it it may or may not be affecting their training at all either. That could be their only sign or symptom um, is that they have dysfunctional cycle. I still think as a clinician and nutritionist, you need to jump on top of that right away and try to fix that. Um, because obviously that's a precursor to things going south, you know, maybe down the road. It could be sooner rather than later. So I think potentially fixing that is an issue. Now, there can be a catch-22 when you have a client who's like, Oh, hey, yeah, I want the best performance ever. Oh, hey, I want the best body comp ever. Um, Oh, hey, I've got some gut problems and I can't eat that much because I get bloated. Well, that's like the tough, tough client. And they're out there and I have them and it's tough. But yeah, I mean, number one, like Kylie said, you throw food at them. Um, And I mean, there's there's a number, you, you have to get them to a point when their body's not in a caloric deficit any longer. Now, if you do that, What's the side effect? What's going to be the side effect if you're not in a caloric deficit? You might gain weight. And it's not the end of the world. And this is one thing. And I'm going to go on a rant here. This might be my trigger number one. We have trigger number two coming up. Remind me about that, um, Chrissy. We'll talk about that shortly. Um, but this, this one always pisses me off is the effect of social media on body mm-hmm. comp image for the average CrossFitter. Like everybody and their fucking dog thinks they need to have a 10-pack abs, ripped freaking quads, the size of tree trunks, and like (laughs) lats that are coming out of their sports bra so they can complain about it. And I'm like, girls, this is like the 1% of the 1% that you see on social media. It's like, you don't always have to look like that to be awesome. You don't. And it's, it's tough, though, because these clients get this idea in their mind. And as a nutritionist, you have to help your client get to their goals as long as they're reasonable. But what I think is reasonable and what they think is reasonable might be two different things. Um, I'm going to end my rant there because I'll take up all the time on that. But um, feeding them, yeah, you have to do that. I mean, there's a couple different ways to do it. Um, one, increase their, increase their caloric intake. That's the easy one. Um, yes, will it result in weight gain? It might, right? And they may not have their cycle resolution back to like a full normal cycle for months and months and months. I've had a client now for two years and only four months ago, maybe five now, she got her cycle back and she was ecstatic about it. She's like, holy, I haven't had my cycle in like years and she got it back, right? So that's how long it can take to recover from you know, and previously, like, you know, as she, when she was younger, you know, very severe eating disorder. Um, so it took her a long time and she's young, she's in her twenties, but it took her a long time to recover from that. So it's not going to be like, 
okay, yeah, let me check back in two weeks. Oh, yeah, cycle's fine. Thanks. Um, it's, <laughs> that's not how it's going to happen. It's going to take months, right, for your body to be like, oh, okay, I'm in a safe place. Yeah, I can have a cycle. This is good. Um, hey, Matt. Yes. Um, did she have to do any changes to her training at all? Yes and no. Um, she's been a CrossFitter since she's been with me. She's recently had some changes in her programming, and I, I don't want to get too detailed because people will be able yeah, to pick up who it is. But um, her training before, I don't know if I would say it was excessive. It was probably appropriate. She has personalized programming now, which I think is way better. Um, but no, no, for her, there was no change in her programming. It was mostly just food-related, where she had been severely under-eating for a long period of time. Okay. Um, then then came to me eating an appropriate amount. But even then, for a year in eating an appropriate amount, it, it didn't resolve until like relatively recently. And it honestly mm-hmm. caught me off guard. And I, I didn't really think much of it. I was like, okay, it doesn't ever cycle. It's not a good thing, but it seems to be this is sort of where she's at. And over time, we've slowly increased her caloric intake. Like I'm talking yeah. like painfully slow cal- increasing caloric intake because of because of GI tolerance. It's one of those catch 22. She's a catch 22 client, right? Body comp performance, GI issues, right? That should be like the Nova three labs triad. Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I mean, one thing I wanted to touch on the other way to do it would be have some maintenance numbers. And then this is where, this is one of the few instances I really like the refeed is when, because there's some literature showing that um, leptin, there's, there's leptin receptors on our HPA or our HPR hypothalamus, right? And we can have a level of leptin resistance um, that can be overcome by refeeds. Um, and that, that in and of itself can stimulate the HPO, hypothalamic pituitary ovarian access, to start pumping out progesterone, estradiol, all that good stuff, right? Um, so the, that leptin can play a role in that and doing that refeed can stimulate that leptin right it's a, it's a complex rabbit hole to go down i would be the first to admit i don't completely understand it but this is where the refeed really if we don't want to get so fucking technical we're just talking about um reverse dieting here right we've got some maintenance yeah. calories we've got a refeed we're slowly increasing the calories using that refeed as a stepping stone so that client doesn't blow up from like you know, 130 to freaking 180 pounds, right? We don't want that. They don't want that. Um, that would probably be healthy as far as hormones, but it would not be good for, you know, client self-esteem. So, yes. Do we want to talk, do we want to talk about trigger number two or do we want to, Chrissy, do you want to, yes. do you want to direct this? Yeah. Or? Okay. So, um, a while ago, I was, I forgot what I was searching for online, but I came across seed cycling and I had texted Mike and I basically was like, okay, I think this is like all of my answers. Like this is my answer to life. I think, I think I'm just going to spend $70 on some seed and, and like, I'm not kidding you. I had it all in my Amazon cart and I was like, hey, do I really want to do this? And I was like, let me just wait for Mike's answer. And then Mike's answer was like, this is bullshit. And I was like, damn it. You know, because like I knew he was going to say that, but I really wanted him to be like, no, this is going to work. And I was like, oh. you know, so oh, no. eat some seeds in the morning. And I'm like, fuck, oh, why didn't I think about that? I'm over here eating waffles and not seeds. So you want to break down like what seed cycling is? 
Yeah. You know this. You know. Do you remember what he's involved with? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um. So before I get into this, Kylie or Tina, have you ever heard of menstrual seed cycling before? Hmm. I. You know, it sounds like gardening. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kidding. I know. It does it ever. Um, you know, you have to plant them when the sun's out, and then water them. <laughs> And you got to talk nicely and, you yes. know, yeah, Pet yeah. them. <laughs> well, I knew you were going to go there. I knew it. Um, Tina? No, I wasn't sure if this was an American thing when Chrissy texted <laughs> Well, yeah, and so, I need to. states about this seed cycling business. Okay. I look it up. So here's here's my take on it, and I'm going to be, I don't know if I'll be tactful or not. I don't know. I just got off a night shift, so I'm kind of in a pissy mood. Um, So it's fucking bullshit, all right? Right off the bat, let's just say that. This is not based in any human-based trials, double-blind, placebo-controlled, crossover design studies. Let's just get that out there. This is not research-based. And I'll, I'll go through, so as a disclaimer... I am not recommending anybody do this. I'm going to go through the protocol, but I just want everyone to be clear. I am not recommending you do this because it's bullshit. It won't cause you any harm, but it's still bullshit. Um, okay, based on the average 28-day cycle, day one. Day one is the first day of the menses. If everybody knows what all the women that are listening should understand that. If guys don't, it doesn't matter. Day one through day 14. Stimulate the estrogen pathway, omega-3 fatty acids. So you get two tablespoons of freshly ground flax, chia, pumpkin seeds. 1 to 1.5 of fish oil in the AM, grams, that would be combined EPA, DHA. Um, 1 to 1.5 in the PM. Cool. Nothing wrong with that. All those wonderful omega-3s. Um, day 15 through 28, this is stimulating the progesterone pathway. Omega-6 fatty acids, right? So omega-3, anti-inflammatory. Omega-6, pro-inflammatory. Um, Two tablespoons freshly ground sunflower or sesame seeds, plus a dose of evening primrose or borage oil, which has gamma linoleic acid, which is an omega-6. It actually acts as an omega-3, but that's beside the point. AM, PM. So that is it. Um, how that normalizes a woman's menstrual cycle if she's under, let's say, external stressors from family or relationship issues, lots of freaking training, under eating, not sleeping enough. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's bullshit though. It's, it's not bad for you. This is the one thing. It, it kind of ticks me off, but at the same time, if you did it, it probably wouldn't hurt. And if you, and I want to talk about implementing non-research base um, protocols or actionable items and if you should or shouldn't do that. Now, I might take up a lot of time talking about that, but I hope not. Um, but I want to note one very corny thing on here. Here's a note. So I have this up in front of me and years and years ago, I put this together as a request from somebody I was working with, um, someone who I respect, but I think this is bullshit and I've said it enough times. As a side note, the menstrual cycle is designed not only to be rhythmic in and of itself, but also to be in line with the phases of the moon. Menses coincide with the new moon, and the ovulation coincides with the full moon, though the reverse is also acceptable. The first step in regulating the cycle itself, then we can go further in attempting to have it sink back within the phases of the moon. If that doesn't totally make you want to vomit, I don't know what does. Um, <laughs> what happens when there's an eclipse? Well, it's like <laughs> everybody, 
<laughs> and nobody crazy. gets their cycle. <laughs> Everybody's got dysmenorrhea. Um, I don't know. So, anyways, yeah. So, now, I mean, obviously I've said this is bullshit enough that you guys know what I think. But implementing non-research-based practices into um, a client-coaching relationship is not... Um, not acceptable. You can do it as long as it's going to cause no harm, right? Sometimes shit works when it shouldn't, right? If that client believes it's going to work, then it has value. Now that would be called the placebo effect. Um, mm-hmm. There is actual legit value in that. Um, something like this is not going to cause any harm. And in fact, you know, getting some, getting a decent dose of like different types of omega-3s and different types of omega-6s is not a, not a bad thing at all. We definitely don't get enough GLA in our diet. I 100% guarantee that. Is this going to fix your menstrual cycle? <laughs> um, not to be an asshole skeptic, but I'm going to say no. Um, I don't implement this with any of my clients because I'm like, yeah, take your fish oil, dummies. You're, that's because I tell you and it's good for you. Um, you know, that's about it. Um I'm being really harsh and I, I should apologize, but, um, yeah, I just, you, you can implement this, but don't expect magic to happen. I mean, we need to look at the bigger picture of external stressors. So there, there's trigger number two and I'm done. I need to take a Zoploclone and go to bed. <laughs> yeah. So have you, and so you guys have never like heard of this or prescribed this for any clients? No. <laughs> There's just so that the per- dot, dot, so dot, I, no. I talked to someone yep. and definitely not discrediting this person at all. Um, but this person said they, they had three clients that got pregnant using this, the seed cycle method. Yeah. Um, now, now, as a disclaimer, the seed cycle method, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, was is pushed mainly for fertility purposes to, to get pregnant. So those of us that are maybe wanting to regulate our hormones, but definitely not trying to put a bun in the oven, um, you know, that well, was like one thought. I was like, oh, what if I just walk around and get pregnant? You know what I mean? Well, I mean <laughs> we, need, we need to look at it in an analytical manner too, right? So let's say we increase intake. No, actually, let me bring it back up the document. So if we've got like, let's say, okay, 1.5 fish oil, 1.5 fish oil. We've got three grams there, two tablespoons, 14, 28. Um, so, you know, we're looking at freshly ground flax. So it's not actually oil. So, okay, well, let's, I'm going to half that down to 14 again. We might be adding maybe, I'm going to go in the upper limit, maybe 20 grams of fat per day. Maybe. Is that, is that enough to get somebody out of a caloric deficit? Yeah, sure. Totally. You know, you're adding like, you know, what, like 180 calories. It could be 200 calories. It could be enough to get them out of a caloric deficit. And is that going to increase your fertility? No, it's not going to increase your fertility. Um, but if you're able to have a regular cycle, does that increase your fertility? Yes. So this is just this has nothing to do with fertility per se. It has to do with um, you know normalizing your cycle. Um, I think it's absolutely pure chance that those three people ended up getting pregnant. But I mean, that's the thing though. If you take something and you believe it works, then it will, right? And I mean, I could tell you a really personable story about, um, not personable, um, a personal story about my wife and I trying to get pregnant for a long, long time and how when you finally don't give a shit anymore 
um, and, and your stress is gone. Stress lowers. Stress lowers. <laughs> Amazing things happen. Yeah. I mean, that's one that we need to be in a nice place and drinking a tequila that I can tell you about it. Um, yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah. So, anyways, menstrual seed cycling. If Yeah, it's not going to hurt you. If you want to do it, do it. Um, whatever. I've, I've given my two bits on it. But, really, when it comes down to reducing stress, if we have to sum all of this up, how do we normalize a female cycle? You reduce stress. What does that yeah. mean? External stressors, internal stressors, right? Your training, how much you're eating, how much you're sleeping, how you perceive that stress. One thing we haven't talked about here, is this a case for maybe higher dose herbal adaptogens, altering your perception of stress? Maybe. And I'm not pimping out max adrenal. I'm just talking about adaptogens, period. Um, yes, reducing stress. That would be the number one thing to fix your cycle. And that's also the hardest thing. So... There so, we go. Summary. Go, staying, stay, no, this is good. Staying mm. on our same topic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's talk about clients with PCOS. So oh, first, God, if someone yeah. wants to explain what is PCOS, and um, because I think it is a lot of, I think a lot of females are dealing with this, and they're not open about it, and it's yeah. just something that they kind of suffer in silence with. But if it's something that we can bring light to and awareness to, and kind of say, hey, you know, here's a either we're here to help or here's a way, here's a couple tips, right? Something like that. Um, You know, I think it could be beneficial. Well, one thing I think is, um, well, Kylie and Tina, how many, roughly, how many clients have you come across, experienced, had in your past, current, that have PCOS? Uh, Go ahead, Tina. (laughs) So far, I don't think I haven't had anybody. I've been fortunate. Nice. Yeah, yes. Yeah, mine's under mine's under five. It's like three to five somewhere around there. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> really, not too many for doing it for you know six plus years. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but maybe the awareness of it has increased as well. Yeah. Right. yeah. Who knows? Like if people even knew what that was five, six, seven years ago. You know. Well, and I do think that there is a, a, a much larger awareness now. I think physicians are able to just based on, you know, client history, signs and symptoms, etc., cetera, um, mm-hmm. diagnose a little bit better. And obviously, like you said, awareness from your client base is way higher than it used to be too. I mean, and so for those listening, they're like, okay, what the hell is he talking about? Um, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, really... Off the top of my head, I'm probably going to screw this up. Um, classic presentation would be overweight female, um, insulin resistant, maybe already diagnosed as type 2 diabetes, um, bad skin, excessive hair growth. Um, why does this happen? Um, really, really, really simply, um, accessory pathways leading from DHEA down into testosterone. Um, that's really why we're getting the insulin resistance, right? So, so we know that, let's say, someone abusing exogenous testosterone, they have a really good chance of developing insulin resistance, right? Um, but in the bodybuilding community, is that masked by training? Yes, and I'm going to come back to that. Um, um, ex- like bad skin, acne, excessive androgens, um, weight gain, insulin resistance once again, right? That's the classic presentation right and I always talk about the sedentary crowd versus the athletic crowd we deal with the athletic crowd whether you go to a gym 
three times a week or you're a maniac and you train 18 times a week, we're all athletes and I'll argue that with everybody any day of the week. Um, so in the athletic community, we don't actually see this, see with our eyes that much because the training in and of itself actually takes care of a big part of the PCOS, right? The classic presentation that I'll see is really good female athlete. I'll ask her, hey, what's, what's your strength? As in strength as, let's say, a mixed modal athlete. And nine times out of ten, she might be like, oh, you know, I've always been strong. I've always been able to like pick up. Even when I wasn't fit, I was like one of the stronger people in the gym. And all of a sudden, boom, now I've got these shoulders. I've got these quads. I've got all these muscles. And I seem to put on muscle mass really easy. Um, excess, not excessive, but let's say higher than normal levels of testosterone because of those accessory pathways. Body composition usually is not an issue because that person is sensitizing their insulin receptors every time they train. They're dumping their glycogen. They're filling it back up. Chances are their diet is in check. They eat really well. But that said, you look a little deeper, these clients might not be able to tolerate high levels of carbohydrates. They might have, um, even in the post-workout period, you give them some, you know, fancy highly branched cyclic dextrin, they might not be able to tolerate that. They might get bloated, they might have GI dysfunction from that. Um, so that's sort of the, the presentation we see within the CrossFit community. Um, what are your guys' experience with, that, with your clients that have had PCOS? Bueller? Bueller? Yes, Tina doesn't have any. No, oh. I don't. No, yes. I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Kylie? I'm trying to think now. Um, so what are the really... symptoms associated with PCOS? Like for a female, what are they, what are they, why is it such a debilitating thing to go through? Because everything you just explained to me sounds pretty cool. You know, like I'm strong, <laughs> I'm lean, I'm cool. Minus yeah. the whole, minus the whole, uh, the carb, not being able to tolerate high level carbs. I wouldn't like that. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, yeah, so some of the symptoms. Um, well, I mean, some of them I listed, right? So bad skin, excessive hair growth, right? That At first, you might be like, oh, whatever, that's pretty superficial. But I have some clients, and it really, really affects them as far as their, their confidence, how they feel, um, you know, the, the way they look. They're just like, it's freaking pain in the ass. They're like, i got to freaking shave every day, and it's bullshit. And it's like, I've got hair like a dude. Like, this is garbage, right? So they start to feel less feminine, and that's a legit issue. And it's like, yeah, you know, I've got these acne problems, but I eat so clean and, you know, I don't eat sugar and, you know, I use all these products, but why am I breaking out like this? Um, I mean, those are some of the, I wouldn't even say benign, maybe less severe um, side effects. But then, so go right back to the name of it, polycystic ovarian syndrome, yeah. where you build up these cysts within your ovaries and... They can explode, like not like boom, okay, they're gone, but I mean, they rupture. It's super, super painful, right? Um, treatment for that is way beyond our scope of practice. Nine times out of ten, birth control will take care of it. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on the internet. I don't pretend to be one. Um, if you're at that level when you're getting ruptured cysts, and usually clients will know, like lots and lots of clients will have never heard of PCOS, but as soon as I start talking to them, I'm like, okay, okay, this is making sense, this is making sense. Um, I've done labs on these clients in the past, and, like, their testosterone comes back as, like, crazy elevated. I'm like, whoa, like, some dudes would like this testosterone, right? 
And then it's like, okay, you start, you start to piece it together. You're like, then I'm like, okay, have you ever heard of polycystic ovarian syndrome? And the client might be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, my sister has that. Or, oh, yeah, my mom had that. Or they might say, no, oh, I got nothing. I've never heard of that. Or they might say, yeah, my doctor mentioned it, but he didn't really do anything about it, right? Um, so where was I going with that train of thought? It just derailed. Um, yeah, but the, the cysts, that's sort of like the severe end of it, right? When you get those ruptured cysts and, you know, not much that's being done for it. You got to go to the ER. You got to get on a boatload of analgesics. It completely sucks from what I understand. Um, birth control seems to take care of it. Um, how, if you ask me what the patho or the, the physiology behind how birth control works uh, with PCOS, I don't know. Um, but So with PCOS, is there would you say a hundred percent chance that the cyst is going to rupture at some point in their lives? No. Like is that? No. Okay. So there's, there's varying degrees. You can have really, you can have mild, moderate, severe, and I'm, I'm not pulling that from any medical textbook. That's just for what I've seen. I've seen clients with really mild PCOS when really they don't have any outward signs and symptoms. And then I've seen clients with very severe PCOS. And I, I have two clients who have severe PCOS and they're, they're freaking phenomenal athletes, but it's it's really problematic for them to deal with this, especially from especially from a carb tolerance point of view. It's really a catch twenty two. You got this high high level athlete who's training like a maniac because they have to to compete at that level, but they can only handle so many carbs, right? And especially, and this is usually usually I say, yeah, you know, I'm not too concerned about clients taking in sugar. At the end of the day. Everything's turned into sugar. I don't care if you eat gluten-free pasta or you've got your nice baked sweet potato or you're eating a bucket full of, um, I don't know, sour gummies. At the end of the day, it's all sugar, right? Um, but for those clients with PCOS, because of the insulin resistance, they're a lot more sensitive to that spike in blood sugar, that glycemic loading, um, and how that's going to affect them. And that, tra- that, that transfers over into how quickly they will put on weight or their gut tolerance and that can be super frustrating right so um and that's that's tough to work around really tough to work around um i have i have one client and i've just pulled like all her post-workout carbs and she's like you know looking at the open looking ahead after the open looking at regionals she doesn't take any post-workout carbs and you might think oh my god what did, what it might just do to this client um she feels better when she doesn't eat when she takes in no sugar right mm-hmm. um she has to do that through whole food um, for any nutritionists out there, I mean, this is a no brainer. You'll never fuck anybody up by just giving them whole food. Just remember that when you start giving supplements and post-workout <laughs> intake and stuff like that, you can run into problems, right? So, um, I don't know. Does that answer that question? Yeah. I mean, okay. I was thinking that we should talk about it. Basically when we were brainstorming our topics, I said that yep. we should talk about it, bring awareness to it. because it's something that's not really talked a lot. I think female cycles in general are not spoken about. It's more like this taboo topic. And I think that we always talk about taboo topics. And so we do. And I mean, there's, there's other ones we could maybe get into for like part two of this. We could talk about birth control and we could talk about different types of birth control. And obviously I always want to throw out the disclaimer. We're not physicians. Um, I'm only talking about this from an experiential point of view from just my client base but I don't pretend <laughs> to be an expert by any means. It's just what I've found with my clients, what works, what doesn't, what they've run into as far as problems. Um, 
I think that's a big one. There was recently something kind of put out on Instagram. Instagram, some form of social media, I can't remember. A bunch of people sent it to me just about talking about birth control and dropping testosterone by 50%. And it was really... Yeah, there was a podcast yeah. about that too. Oh, about how God. it impacts, uh, not free, or sorry, it impacts what SHGB which impacts free, but it doesn't necessarily impact total testosterone numbers. Yeah, and th- th- that I mean that statement right there is not not incorrect. Yeah, anything that's going to raise <clears throat> sex hormone binding globulin is going to affect your free testosterone and not affect your total. Um, but I mean, I don't like statements like that. Like, okay, will the okay? Why don't we talk about it if we got time? What are we going on here? An hour and twelve minutes. What do we talk like? Twenty minutes prior. Okay. Um, I don't like <laughs> statements like that. Because they're blanket statements that aren't necessarily true. So will Depo Provera, will, will that completely fuck your hormones up? Yeah, it's nasty. It's one of the nastiest birth control methods on the, on the planet. I don't even know why it's still around. Um, is that the same as microdosing um, birth control that is a small amount of estrogen, a small amount of progesterone? No, two totally different things. Can you run into issues with birth control? Yes. Can you run into issues with an IUD? Yes. Um, so, point in case about different opinions, Dr. Stacey Sims, who wrote the book Roar, huge fan of the IUD, huge. She's like, yeah, birth control, bad news, IUD is the way to go. Um, I've had a number of clients get IUDs because they're like, hey, I don't want to mess with my hormones. I'm going to do this the natural way or, or you know, as natural as I can be. Um, get the IUD completely messes their system up right major weight gain major issues um can be so stressful i had one client go into like a hyperthyroid state um that's how bad it can be does it work well for some women yeah some women freaking love it and they got no issues same thing with birth control some women it's gonna fix their problems especially if it's pcos related um for other women it's gonna cause issues and you have to figure out what's gonna work for you but blanket statements saying birth control is going to drop your testosterone by 50%, all of a sudden, you've got a large group of impressionable women who are like, oh my God, I can't use birth control now. It's going to totally wreck my career as an athlete. Which is, in my mind, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. You can't go out and say bullshit like that and not back it up, right? Pet peeve, trigger number three. Holy, I'm getting nothing but triggered today. Um so what I wanted to ask too is if someone wanted to learn a little bit more about in a you know in a layman's term way more about the cycle right or anything with female hormones what's like a an easy read that you would suggest <laughs> an easy read on the female cycle there's the best oxymoron I've heard to date um I don't honestly yeah I don't think there is one I don't think there is one well, I'm I mean thinking- yeah, I don't know. The, the Roar book you just offered, well, I think that's a, like, simple, easy to understand, has a really, really good tips and tricks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if, nice I sound, if I sound like I'm far away from my microphone, I'm looking at my uh, bookshelf. Um, I don't know where it is. I think I lent it out, actually. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's not a bad one. I mean, Dr. Sims is freaking brilliant. There's no question. Um, but she has her biases, right? Everybody has their biases. I'm partway through Lyle McDonald's and, and Eric yeah. Helm's new book, and it's a freaking monster, there's no doubt. Um, 
I haven't really got much into the cycle on that part yet. I think that's way more in depth than most people need. Um, honestly, I think starting at the basics and <laughs> I find it funny cause I'm thinking, okay, the people are going to be really interested in this would be females. But I always assume that females know like 10 times more about their menstrual cycle than any guy ever would. But I don't actually know if that's necessarily true. I mean, Kylie, Tina, Chrissy, you can tell me. But sometimes I've talked to my clients and I'm like, okay, when's day one? And they're like, what? I'm like, day one of your cycle. When was day one? They're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I was like, holy, okay, maybe let me rephrase that. Um, When's the last time you had your period? And they're like, oh, it came on this day. I'm like, okay. You know, and I'll ask them questions and I realize they don't actually really know anything about their cycle but i assume that they do but i mean if people want to know more i mean i don't know just start googling it like i mean it's all out there this is all basic physiology right and i think that's where anybody needs to start um and my wife often says i look at things differently than other people and i don't think that's true but i think you understand the basic physiology then you can get into the pathophysiology or the dysfunction of physiology, right? What causes the issues? But you have to understand basic physiology before you get into the stuff that fucks it up. Like nutrition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to understand the basics before you can understand how to implement it and manipulate hormones with it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Right on. Okay. Are we... Are so we the book- the done? book suggestion was, was like not. It was like there isn't one. Well, um, okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. I will. I'll go back on that. So, Doctor Stacy Sims, her book Roar is a really good one, and I got to give a shout out to Kara. She's a she's a client of mine, a freaking kick ass rower, rower, Olympic rower. She's the one who said, "Hey, you should read this," and it was an awesome book. So, thank you, Kara. Um, the other one so, would be um, the the women's the woman's book by. Lyle McDonald and Eric Helms. You go from that one's not an easy read. People. Not an easy read. You need <laughs> to be highly, read. highly caffeinated and double your dose of max capacity. So okay, so uh, we're going to kind of end with those topics and go over a couple of point of like new things that we're doing with the company. So recently, we came out with a BCA coffee creamer, which is a lesser version formula of our normal max perform BCA. Uh-huh. So we got some feedback that it was too sweet. Some. So we're actually taste testing right now the same formula with half the sweetness. Yeah. So and we're taste testing a couple different flavors. Yep. Unfortunately they said they couldn't make us a peanut butter flavor and I'm pretty upset about it. Um <laughs> next thing that we're coming out with is our max recovery formula. We're coming out with a mixed berry flavor. So I mixed it in with chocolate protein, and it was delicious. And I mixed it in with peanut butter protein, and it tastes like PB&J. Whoa. Yeah. That was amazing. And then lastly, we're currently taste testing right now um, our max collagen formula. So, Mike, if you want to talk a a little bit about what your thought process was there wanting to create that. Yeah. So that, as with most things in my life, seemed to happen by accident. Um, So... Way back when, um, basically last year, about May, um, I'll make a long story short because I'm really long-winded. Um, I ended up getting a meniscus tear and I had a fissure in one of my condyles, um, which means bad shit in your knee. Um, 
And I was taking Max Rehab at the time. We had, we had just released it, and it was helping. Like I'm like, yeah, okay, it's reducing my inflammation, um, but really, my range of motion was sucking. It hurt to squat. You know, Mike Fitzgerald from OPT does my programming, so I was doing like box step ups and box squats, and I was like, oh god, is this is this what is panned out for me? So I'm like, I gotta get, I gotta try to figure this shit out. So I'm like, okay, what am I missing? And I'm like, well, I've never actually taken glucosamine or chondroitin. Okay. Let's try that. Look at some research. Yep, yep, yep. I've done research in the past on it. Awesome for synovial fluid um, secretion. Um, really good study called the GATE trial when it um, was compared against um, NSAIDs and had a reduction in pain and inflammation in, in, in patients that had osteoarthritis. So I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I'll try that. Um, vitamin C, I've always been a big proponent of that. It helps drive collagen into the soft tissues like your cartilage and your ligaments and tendons. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll dose some vitamin C with this. Um, boron, boron's another mineral that we're really short on. Plays a little bit of a role with, with testosterone secretion, which is a nice bonus. But um, it's basically like, if we think about, um, I'm going to be long-winded. I apologize. I can't help it. Um, if, if, we're, if we think about bone health and calcium is the brick, then items like K2, D3, boron, um, they are the mortar, right? So it's just sort of adding to that. Um, and then obviously the big one was the collagen. And I've had lots of clients take collagen. I've never really looked closely at it. I've always been like, ah, it's hair and skin and nails. It's more of like a beauty supplement. But I'm like, well, I'll try it, right? You know, it's, it's high in glycine, high in proline, high in lysine. It's a complete protein, but it's different than whey protein. And I want to be clear on this too, because there's been some misinformation. People are like, hey, Nova 3 Labs is coming out with max collagen. Yeah, we are. It's not a protein supplement. It doesn't replace whey protein. Don't don't say that. Don't say that on social media. That's bad. No, don't say it. Um, this is specifically for joint health as an adjunct to work alongside with Max Rehab. So, started using this. Knee feels amazing. Now, disclaimer, this is N equals 1. Who knows what happened? Maybe my maybe my tear just dissolved and I've got nice smooth cartilage in there now. I don't know. I haven't got a, I haven't got a follow-up MRI because I don't want to spend another 800 bucks on it. My knee feels great. I'm doing astagrass squats. My weights are getting heavier. I'm still not back up to 405, but I'm sure to be there soon. Like, my knee feels 100%. So I'm like, why don't we make this into a supplement? And lo and behold, it's happening. There. There's, there's Beautiful. Max, there, thank you. That's Max Collagen. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited for it. So yeah, so, we're just so trying. So why to, would people take it? Like, what's the? What would a normal human being? Why would they take it? Um. So just for joint health, if you have joint health issues, um, this can. And I'm gonna make a claim that's not based on science. And so nobody send me a nasty email. This can help make your joints feel better. There's my undocumented Perfect. claim based on nothing but my own experience. Um, no, honestly, with every supplement, um, the research um, behind every component in there is here. Um, there's, there's legit research behind all these components. You guys know I won't put together a formula unless, or put something into a supplement unless there's legit human trial research. Um, so, I mean, that's why, I mean, if I go back through my Instagram, what the hell date was that? Sorry, my kids just came in. They're going to be loud. Um, so this was like back in November. You can see... Hey, you guys. Shh. Sorry. 
Um, <laughs> I don't have a door. I don't, long story short, I don't have a door in my office. Um, so this. What is happened a, to the door? It's a long story that requires a lot of tequila. Um, <laughs> it's just not there anymore. Um, no, I'm just replacing it. Um, but like, I mean, I pieced all the stuff together. So just from anyways, I don't know. My train just derailed. So what are the other supplements we got coming out? We wanted to talk about max collagen and then. Uh, is the collagen a capsule or a powder form? This Okay, thank you, Tina. Yeah, so this will be a powdered form. This will be a mixable powder. And mm-hmm. we're working on some flavors right now. I believe, Chrissy, that we both agree the chocolate is the best. Yes. Yeah. And dosing-wise, I know that some people take their collagen in the morning with coffee, but we're suggesting taking it because of the other additive ingredients we're suggesting taking it for bed that's correct that is correct yeah um we i did have oh one thing i forgot yeah we did have an extra three grams of glycine in there but glycine is a really nasty tasting supplement so i had to pull it out unfortunately and that could have gone that could have been like two birds with one stone there's really strong carryover with glycine and sleep it's one of the ones i wanted to put in max sleep but from a volume point of view i wasn't able to so glycine can increase your onset and sleep quality because it helps signaling lowering body temperature but with 10 grams of collagen there's comes 1.8 grams of glycine so there already is a pretty decent dose of glycine in there but yeah at at night is when you know i would say you could take this any time but i'm just going to say at night um is probably the best time right take your max rehab take your max collagen take your max sleep sleep like a baby wake up and you're a unicorn (laughs) Um, okay, well, I think that that's everything that we wanted to talk about today. So one thing I want to add, too, is during the week, every week of the Open, we're going to be giving away a free stack to someone. And this applies to Canada and the U.S. So make sure to follow us on social media at Nova3Labs. And we are going to post a graphic with all of the rules. And the rules are basically you have to follow us. You have to follow the, well, if you're in Canada, you have to follow the Canada Nova3Labs. And you need to post a picture of what the CrossFit Open means to you or during the Open. And you need to hashtag. And I forgot the hashtag off the top of my head. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. But we're going to post it on social media. (laughs) It has something to do with the Open and... I'm like frantically looking for it right now. It's, it's okay. So it starts with a hashtag people and, but basically the hashtag is the way that we're going to find you. So the hashtag is Nova CF open. Was it, it wasn't as complicated as I made it. Nova CF open. There you go. Okay. Yep. Okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. So Very I think good. that's everything. I think that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think we covered a lot today. Holy cow. I'm tired. I need to take a nap. Um, <laughs> I still got some consults and then a night shift to do. Go me. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. Get more sleep, Mike says. Does he do it? No, he doesn't do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll sleep someday. Okay, anyways, I will uh, I will talk to you guys soon. This has been an awesome podcast. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.